So we start a brand new sermon uh, series this week. It's going to be a three-part series, and we're going to talk a little bit about living out our legacy. And so um, uh, I want to begin with a, a text tonight that I just love this story. It's a small story that we find in the Gospel of Luke, and I and, you know, have a chance to kind of teach on this. And it comes from the 21st chapter. And so let's just begin there, and we'll talk a little bit more about um, this story and about the legacy that's involved in this story. Here's how it begins. Uh, he looked up. And he saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasure. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, referring to his disciples, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So, you know, I I love this, the title of the sermon series, Living Out Your Legacy, because um, it's one of those um, I referred to in my little weekly word blast that goes out. I mean, it's one of those great existential questions because it has to do with, you know, uh, what is my, my purpose in life? Is anything that I do is going to outlive me? Is, you know, and I continue to, once again, ask myself this question. Is anything that I'm ever doing, does it really make a difference? And so I, was, I went and I actually found um, this definition of legacy this week. And I thought it was actually a pretty good definition. Um, what does a legacy really mean in life? A legacy is a lasting impact on the world. It's a gift that is passed down through generations. It may be money, property, or even stories. It can also be a business or the profits from a business. Set up a foundation or charity. Leaving a legacy means dreaming big and changing the world for a better. Hmm. What's your legacy? What's my legacy? What's our legacy? So um, I got a really good email this week. This um, my friend Gary, um, who was actually a banker um, in his life, uh, saw this my my little e blast, and and he um, that kind of caught his attention. And so this is what he was shared with me. He says, you know, given my career as a trust banker, much of what I worked with was was passing a person's accumulation of wealth along with to their heirs of, or their charities. He says, one of the concepts we often shared about legacy involved genealogy. The question posted was this, name your eight great-grandparents. Most people can't do that. Statistically, at least 20-plus years ago, less than 3% of the American population could even do that. What does that mean? It means that in three generations, you could be forgotten. If you're forgotten, it's likely your legacy will be forgotten. If you want our legacy, if we want our legacy, such as the lady with the few copper coins, uh, given her utmost, then we need to work out our legacy. How do we do that? He said, maybe leaving your Bible with your notes, letters to your children and your grandchildren, pass along family heirlooms and more. In my opinion, Harold, the greatest legacy one can leave is a clear evidence of one's Christian faith. And he said, you know what? Your video this week just reminded me of that. Thank you, Harold. Now, listen, I read that and I was kind of blown away by that because I didn't even, I never thought about that. Because see, I can go back, of course, you know, I, my mother and father, then I can name my, my grandparents. But past that, I can name one of my eight. 
Can you name all eight? The only one I remember is Emmett, um, Emmett Taylor. And the reason why I remember him, he was my great-grandfather. Uh, Emmett lived to be about 90-something. Um, Emmett, Emmett was a legend, I mean, in Kentucky. He, um, he had a farm. He was in politics. This is my great-grandfather. He, um, uh, he was notorious for uh, smoking uh, Cuban cigars and drinking really hard Kentucky bourbon. And he saved every dime that he had. And my grandmother, when he died, spent every dime that she had of him. <laughs> Legacy. I could only name one of my eight ancestors as far as my great-grandparents. I thought, okay, well, that's something, isn't it? Then I started thinking about, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about me? And then I started thinking about, okay, so I got Olivia and my other four boys, now I got Marley, but the question I started thinking about, really started messing with me this week was, will Marley's, grand, Marley's children even know who I am? Wow, that really kind of, kind of hit home with me this week about my legacy, your legacy, our legacy. I started thinking about this and reflecting upon it. This, um, this week, Thursday night, we had a, a guy named Jeff Shub, and uh, Jeff... Um, was a neo-Nazi, he was a white supremacist, he came here and spoke, and uh, it was very powerful. And, and so, you know, he spent over 20 years um, just spewing hatred and um, evilness. And, and, he, and I, I really appreciated his opening line, and he says, I just want you to know people can change. And then he showed this video, and the video, he says, I've got to apologize before I show you this video, but I'm going to tell you I'm very sorry, but this was me for over 20 years. And it was him with, you know, there was the KKK and the burning of the crosses and all this venom that he was spewing, and it was just, it was awful. It was, but it was real. And so what I thought was really, really powerful as I reflected upon that over the last 48 hours is that so we spent 20 years spewing all this evilness and that was going to be his legacy. But now he's shifted his whole life. And now he has a new adventure in life and his new adventure in life is to spread goodness and love and hope. And he walked away from that, all that evilness. Matter of fact, he still gets death threats, he says, all the time. And so what's very interesting is I thought about this because, see, um, he had a legacy that was not about, as I'm this little definition, about changing the world for the better. It was really changing the world for the worse. But now he's made an about face, and he's a man on a mission of trying to spread hope and goodness towards other people. And I'm hoping that will be his legacy. So I started thinking about, once again, about legacies. Now, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it, there's a, a lot. This next week is just kind of a magical time for me because I love sports. And, and so what's great about this one little window, about two or three weeks, you can watch football, basketball, and baseball all at the same time. It's everywhere. It's magical. I love that. 
And, and so, you know, I don't know if you all follow baseball, but something extraordinary happened about a week or so ago. Albert Pujols, matter of fact, I think I got a picture of Albert Pujols. Uh, he was pretty excited that day because he hit his 700th home run. There are only four people who have ever done that. That would be Barry Bonds, that would be Hank Aaron, that would be Babe Ruth, and now Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is now a legend. I mean, out of thousands and thousands and thousands of people have all played that game, there's only four that have done what he has done. Pretty amazing. And so I suppose that Le, uh, Albert Pujols has left, he will leave a legacy on baseball. Then, you know, tomorrow we're going to watch football and I'll tune in and I'll watch the, chances are if it's going to be on, I'll watch the, the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And there's another guy who's also a legend here. I don't know if you all, I mean, th- I mean, there he is, uh, Tom Brady. He's just won a Super Bowl and he looks like he's ready to, to do a photo shoot for GQ. I mean, I don't get it. It's just amazing. But he just, well, you know, played a whole football game. He's won the game and there he is. But you know, Tom Brady's won seven Super Bowls. That's on a whole nother spectrum. It's hard enough to win one, but he's won seven. I suppose Tom Brady is a legend in football and he's left his legacy on the NFL. So what's our legacy? I was reflecting upon that this week and then thinking about, you know, the idea of people in our lives that had an impact and maybe have possibly influenced our life for the better. That's a great question. Um, I got a, another, um, actually I got a, I didn't get an email, I actually got a personal note this week. And it was um, from a person who um, was just, uh, once again, I think it had to do with, you know, pastors appreciate and she, but she was really talking more about her son. His name is Brian and he's, um, he's a teacher in North Carolina and he sa- she said, she reminded me that, um, she says, you know, his, his students love him they say they, they love, they refer to him as Mr. Z and they, they don't, um, care who, um, who hears it. He has been teaching for 22 years and has wanted to um, quit due to kind of many of the things with the, with the kind of the higher ups and so forth, but somehow he just continues to hang in there because of his people in the public school. So he says, you know, Pastor Earl, your messages have helped him deal with some of his own things in his own life, but he's so happy. Thank you for being a joy to our son as well, because he watches every single week. What I love about that note is because this, um, it just reminds me of, the, here's a teacher, his name is Brian, it would be easy for him to bail on the whole teaching thing, but somehow he's leaving a legacy on those kids' lives. He's influencing their lives. He's got a passion for teaching. Chances are he could probably go and make a lot more money doing something else, but no, 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 no. He loves those kids, and the kids love him. I asked my wife this week about um, Logan, my son Logan. Um, he struggled in school um, up until fifth grade. He, um, and then he, all of a sudden he had a, a teacher by the name of Mrs. Richards, and somehow Mrs. Richards got through to Logan, and it was like he just opened up a whole new world for him. It just clicked. So now Logan has done, he's done pretty well in his life. And the reason why he's done very well in his life, because I'm telling you, is part of it is goes back to that one teacher who really has impacted his life and ultimately has been a legacy for him. But it all goes back to fifth grade because she didn't give up on him. So now Logan um, went on and he got a degree from the University of Florida, go Gators. 
Then he got a master's degree from the University of Florida in aerospace engineering. Go Gators. And now, guess what? Logan is going to go all the way over to the other side of the United States of America. He's going to move to California, and he's going to be an engineer for some big company, and he's going to ultimately design heart catheterization. So the next time you get a heart catheterization, you can think, thank Logan. But it all goes back to one teacher in fifth grade. Your legacy can be positive, or in the case of Jeff Shoup, it could be negative. What's interesting is that Logan went to the same school that Cameron went to school, elementary school, and so Cameron, when he started out in kindergarten, um, he was really struggling. Cameron struggled in school also, and he had a kindergarten teacher. And so one day, Cameron, he's five, went up to the teacher and said to his teacher, I don't understand. I need help. And the teacher said this, that's the simplest thing I can give you. Go sit down. And you know what's interesting? That happened almost 20 years ago. And Cameron still remembers it. What's your legacy? So I think about that. You know, legacies can have to do with relationships. Legacies can have to do with accomplishments. Legacies can have to do with what you did or what you gave in life. Yeah. And what's also interesting, small little gestures like that, sometimes good, sometimes bad, can have a big impact in life. Hmm. I, I love history. And um, I, I like watching this show on the History Network. It's called, um, it, uh, it, this particular episode's called Food That's Changed America. I don't know if anybody's seen it. And they had this one about Ray Kroc. You know what Ray Kroc did? He was the one who, did, well, he's ultimately the one that took over McDonald's. And so um, what's interesting is that um, all of a sudden, Ray Kroc had kind of a monopoly on the whole hamburger market. All of a sudden, there was this newcomer called Burger King. It was his competitor. He didn't like competition. And they came up with an idea called the Whopper. And then Ray says, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm, I'm losing part of my market share. I've got to do something. Hence, the whole idea of the Big Mac came because he was chasing after the Whopper. Now, what I thought was interesting that Donald's and their marketing strategy for several years ago, and you might remember this, all of a sudden, everything was about supersizing. Getting bigger, 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 bigger cups, bigger portions, bigger French fries, bigger hamburgers, uh, bigger drinks. Everything was bigger, super size, super. But you know what? There is a new trend. Matter of fact, I like going to McDonald's. And the reason why I don't really like so much going to, Wa uh, to Burger King every once in a while is because when they hand me the Whopper, the Whopper doesn't look anything like what's up on the poster. You understand, right? You get that. Okay, so um, what I've noticed recently, and I think I've got a picture of the McDonald's menu, and so, can, so what's interesting, now they come up with a dollar menu. And it's all of a sudden, we're not supersizing, but all of a sudden now things are shrinking. So you can just get, well, I know, because I can go get a hamburger and a French fry and a Coca-Cola for $3.84. How do I know that? Because that's what I get the same thing every single week. And what's interesting is that sometimes things in small packages have big impacts. Smaller, bigger, 
You know, it's totally normally what normally we think about when it comes to big. Usually when we think about bigger, it's more impressive. Uh, you know, bigger, it's better. Not necessarily. Sometimes big things come in small packages. My son Cameron went to, um, the other day, he got called to jury duty. Anybody been called to jury duty? Yeah, he went to jury duty. Uh, I, like most of us, he tried to get out of it. They wouldn't let him get out of it, so he goes. And then he went in, and evidently, um, he stayed for a little while, and they dismissed him because they didn't need him, so he came on back home, went to work. Okay. You know, I remember I went to jury, jury, jury duty a few years ago, and what's interesting about going to jury, jury duty, I, I went on, and, and what happened was they actually... Um, Evidently, I made the first cut. So I went in, and there's the judge. And so then the, we sat down. There's a whole group of us. And the judge, one by one, started asking each of us. I don't know. Maybe there's 10, 20 of us there. And then he started asking us, like, so he says, okay. And he looked at me. And he says, um, so what's your name? I said, well, my name is Harold Hendren. He says, well, and then he says, where do you live? And I said, well, I live in Wildwood, which is right next to the villages. And, he, and then um, and he says, are you married? I said, yeah, I'm married. I, my, my wife and I have been married at the time, maybe 25 years. we got five kids. Said, okay. And then he asked the question, so what do you do? Now, I, what I wanted to say is I'm the senior pastor of one of those big mega churches. <laughs> but I didn't. I said, no, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a pastor. A New Covenant United Methodist Church in the villages. And what's interesting is as soon as I said that, I looked at the lawyers and they started writing down things about me. Because let me tell you something, usually lawyers don't like preachers on the jury. They wouldn't have anything to do with me. I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later, I was, I was dismissed. <laughs> and and what's, what's interesting about, you know, when you think about life is that sometimes you look at life and it has to do with, you know, being humble. Sometimes things you think is, you know, big is impressive. And, and it, what's also interesting on that particular day, I, as soon as I said, I'm the pastor at New Covenant, the guy sitting right next to me, he says, you're the pastor at New Covenant? I said, yeah, I am. He says, I live in the villages and I live right next to the church. I said, great. He says, I'm Catholic. And he said, the Catholic, when I was raised by the nuns and the nuns told me if I did anything wrong, I was going straight to hell. I said, that's nice, right? <laughs> you never know who you're going to be in on jury duty. Sometimes little things have a big impact. Like a nun telling you, if you get out of line, you're going straight to hell. He still remembered that. Just like Cam remembered exactly what that teacher told him almost 20 years ago. Small things sometimes have big impacts. I, I thought this was interesting. Um, average church in America has less than 100 people. 100,000 churches have less than 50 people. Donna told her churches, and I went to church with her one day when I went down, she had two little bitty churches, and she said, and she reminded them, you know, we're small, but we're mighty. I like that. We're small, but we're mighty. I made a list this week about small but mighty things. Um, don't count out small. Small can be important. Your wedding ring. Contact lenses, the pills that you took this morning, the chip in your computer, 
a few nuts and bolts to hold together a passenger jet. A flashlight bulb when the power goes out. The 9-volt battery in your smoke detector. Here's a good one. A stop sign that the golf cart drivers are supposed to adhere to. Small, but mighty. I was talking to my daughter last night, and um, we were talking. She was so excited because in November, she's taking Marley and her and Mitch are going to go to Walt Disney World. And um, um, Marley loves going to Disney World. Of course she does. And I said, um, in the midst of the conversation, she says, Dad, you know what's interesting? Out of all the things that she wants to go see, I said, what's that? Because I thought it would be, I don't know, you know, one of the bigger rides or something. She says she just really wants to go to the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. I'm thinking, really? The Swiss Family Treehouse? I mean, there's not even a line for that. You just walk on, you go up to the tree, kind of walk around a little bit. The whole thing takes maybe, I don't know, six, eight, ten minutes. And she said, no, that's what she wants to do. I said, why does she want to do that? She says, because we watched the movie and we watched it over and over and over and over again. And she's so excited because she feels as if when she goes in the treehouse, she's a part of the story. Now, what's interesting, if you go to Disney World, there's, you know, once again, things like small things come in, um, you know, um, uh, sometimes big things come in small little packages. So my favorite ride at Walt Disney World is It's a Small World. I love that. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small, small world. Y'all know the tune? Do you know how many times the small world is sung one time, I mean, every day? If you're, okay, just imagine this. If you worked in there. 1,200 times. I would be going bonkers if I had to work in there, right? You think they might just switch it up or something, put in Sweet Home Alabama or something in there besides it's a small, over and over and over again. It's a small world. You ever come across something in your life that you think, wow, it really is a small world. I mean, sometimes it's just one of those amazing things. So the other day I was doing a, a funeral um, for a, a gentleman by the name of Clyde. Clyde was from... LaBelle, Florida. Um, and um, and I, what's interesting is, I know a little bit about LaBelle, Florida because one of my really good friends, his name is Ricky, Ricky Bass, um, and his family is connected to um, Donna's side of the family, and they're all from that particular area. And so I just thought out of the blue when I was having that conversation, because we sat down and I talked uh, to Clyde's family and there was a, it was his wife and then the sister of, so it had been Clyde's sister-in-law and then there was another person there. And so we were talking and I said, well, you know, um, do y'all know Ricky Bass? Oh, we know Ricky. Wow, small world. She said, not only do I know Ricky, I was his teacher. Wow, that's a small world. And then all of a sudden, the person next to her says, I need to share a story with you. I said, what's that? 
She says, well, I was a nurse. And I was sitting in the floor one day and I was about to go in to um, go to start my shift and all of a sudden I saw Ricky Bass's father sitting there. He seemed dejected, kind of lost. So I went up to him. I said, what, what's going on? He was about to go in for some kind of heart procedure and he felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. I said, what happened? She said, I led him to Christ. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small, small world. Wow. Who would have thought that? It's to mean, when I think about sometimes when you think about small, small, you know, the, the, the Romans thought that Jesus was just another small man. They did. We know. You know, a matter of fact, I, I, when I've gone to the Holy Land, um, we, we go down to Caesarea Phil, uh, Maritime and they had found uh, um, this little monument and it was a stone and when they were doing some excavation several years ago, they flipped it over and then it had some kind of information about Pontius Pilate. It was some building had been dedicated to Pontius Pilate, which meant that Pontius Pilate evidently had stayed a lot of time at Caesarea Maritime. It's like Club Med. It, it really is. It, it was beautiful. It's beautiful there. I, I can understand why Herod had a big palace and I can understand why Pontius Pilate loved going there. So when he heard that there was this small man that was leading some, stirring things up in Jerusalem. Pilate had to get on his horse along with his whole brigade and make his way up to Jerusalem to make sure that there wasn't any trouble because this small little man, his name was Jesus, could possibly stir things up. We got to take care of that. So Pontius Pilate made his way to Jerusalem and eventually that small little man by the name of Jesus stood before him. And you know what's interesting about that? I was thinking about this is today. Pontius Pilate's legacy. Hmm. He tried to wash the blood off of Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ off his hands. But he couldn't do it. How do we know he couldn't do it? Because we're still talking about Pontius Pilate today. And who's the one who condemned Jesus? Pontius Pilate. There's his legacy. I, I was thinking this week about, you know, the idea of, you know, it's interesting. Small is never insignificant in the eyes of God. Small actions are enormous, importantly, especially when they are focused on serving others and believing in Jesus Christ. I, I love, well, I've shared this story with you several times, Fred Craddock, I, I just, I love Fred Craddock. He was one of my greatest professors, God rest his soul. He was a phenomenal teacher, a, f a phenomenal pastor, a phenomenal preacher. And, he, and my favorite Fred Craddock story is the guy walking into J.C. Penney's and he went to the jewelry counter and asked the jewelry assistant, I need a cross. And then she said, what kind of cross? And then he said, I want a cross with a small little man on it. Small little man. 
I really love the, what Wesley had to say about giving. The idea of small. I mean, it seems, I mean, this whole idea of the widow's might today, that scripture I read to you just a few minutes ago, um, how uh, impactful when it came to giving, even though it might be something so small, it could have a significant and big. I mean, sometimes um, we're small, but we're big, we're mighty. I, I found this interesting. Um, what Mr. Wesley, when it came to the idea of giving, by the way, the widow's might, it was the smallest of all the offerings. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, back in 1786, this is what Mr. Wesley says. He says, you know what? I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. But what I am afraid is that lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And, the, and this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both to the doctrine, spirit, discipline with which we first have set out. In other words, Mr. Wesley all of a sudden thought the Methodists were getting, maybe as my day would say, get a little bit too big. Hmm. And so he was concerned that they were losing their focus and somehow that they were losing sight of taking care of the poor. So this is what he said. He called them the three generals. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. That seems pretty straightforward. Do we have that on the, can we put that up on the screen? I think that we might have that. Gain, can you say those to me? Gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Okay. So that just seems like, okay, well, what did Mr. Wesley actually mean by that? Well, uh, what I found this week, because I'm thinking, okay, earn all you can, just make all the money you can, right? But that's not exactly what he said. Mr. Wesley said, Wesley was not about giving, uh, uh, not giving a theological rationale for aggressive attempt to make more. Rather, he emphasized earning all you can through participating in God's healing and creative work in the world. He was speaking, uh, uh, speaking against destructive ways of earning money by hurting oneself or others or the creation. He emphasized restrictions on exploiting others or gaining from the pain and suffering of others or oneself. Giving in the Wesleyan tradition considers how we earn the wealth, not just how we use the wealth earned. Then he said, save all you can. Okay, then Wesley challenges his challenge here rather than endorses accumulating and hoarding a bunch of money. He, he said he was not calling Methodists to invest wise and to build large savings accounts. He compared such practices to throwing your money into the sea. He says the maximum saving all your money is a, is a call to simplify your lifestyle. I warned it against extravagance, opulence, self-gratification. It's about, for Wesley, when it talked about saving, all, it really was about sacrifice. It was the opposite. So you think, you first read it, save all you can. Wow, hoarding, you know, gather up all you can. No, 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 no. Mr. Wesley was really talking about, actually, not about self-indulgence, but he was talking about sacrifice. And then he says, give all you can. Okay, well, there you go. But we're, the, the first two really lead to the third. He says, Wesley's third role of stewardship gives meaning to the first two. We are to gain all we can and save all that we can so that we can give all we can. In Wesley's own words, save all you can by cutting off every expense which serves only indulgence, foolish desires to gratify either the desire of the flesh, desire of the eye, desire of the pride of life. Wasting nothing on sinner folly, he goes on. 
Earning, saving, giving, all the means of giving oneself to God. Forgiving for Wesley is rooted in the very nature and the activity of God whose nature is to love God and love your neighbor. Hence the reason why when it came to the way that Mr. Wesley looked at giving and stewardship, that's the reason why he developed free health clinics. He started schools. He came up with a sewing cooperative. He came up with a lending agency just for poor people. Education was a ticket out of poverty for Mr. Wesley. Hmm. So when it came to when it came to small but mighty for Mr. Wesley, you know what he figured out when he was a young man, he made 28 sterling pounds. Later in life, he he grew his income and it grew to 120 pounds of sterling. That's a lot of money back in the 1700s. Big bucks. But you know what, what Mr. Wesley did? He did something nobody else ever did. Hmm. He lived the rest of his life on 28 sterling pounds and he gave the rest of it all away. I don't know what that calculates to be, about maybe 80%. So when he died, he died penniless. Here's how intentional Mr. Wesley was. And you might think this might be a little bit string. Matter of fact, can you put a picture of Mr. Wesley up on the screen? Can you put that? Okay, do you know something about his hair? I didn't know this until this last week. He's got long hair, right? Back in the 1700s, guess what? Back at the, the, in England, guess what you wore? Man wore a wig, right? Mr. Wesley said, you know what? I don't want to waste my money on a wig. I'm just going to grow my hair long. I'm not going to cut my hair. So I'm going to save the money on buying a wig and save the money on getting a haircut so I can give more money away to the poor. Wow. That was Mr. Wesley. And so when it came to the idea of earning all you can and saving all you can and giving all you can, it all goes back to what he called holiness. And holiness has everything to do with loving God and loving your neighbor and making sacrifices along the way. That's what giving was all about. Small but mighty. Yeah. We have this story today. What's interesting is that um, the, there's a story before the story, this story of the widow's might. Um, it, it's actually pretty interesting because Wesley's, uh, uh, the, we... We get to the 21st chapter, but before you get to 21, you got to go to 12. And 12, this is what Jesus says, protect yourself against all the least little bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have or even what you have, which you may have a lot of. This is what, what, this is what uh, Jesus said, um, which is very different from my, my friend Ken Routon, who's a retired pastor one day. We were having a conversation. He lived in Boca. He was the pastor of Boca United Methodist Church. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Boca. But Boca has got, it's a pretty wealthy place to live. So um, he was at, I don't know, Starbucks or something one day. And so um, all of a sudden he sees this lady drive up. She's in a big fancy sports car, dripping in gold. She gets out of the car. She walks in to go get her coffee or whatever. And she's wearing a T-shirt and I said, what, t what, did she, what did the T-shirt say, Ken? Can you show a picture of the T-shirt? This is what it said. All I want is everything. All I want is everything. 
So Jesus cautions us on all I want is everything. So Jesus says, protect yourself against the least little bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And so what's interesting, and Jesus immediately goes in once upon a time, and the, after he says that, um, he, um, there's a guy who comes to him and says, hey, hey Jesus, uh, will you make sure you tell my brother that he needs to share his inheritance with me? And then Jesus gives this great parable. And he talks about this foolish farmer that had barns. And he said, you know, he had so much. He decided, you know what? I need to get, tear the little barns down and be bigger and mightier barns and hold everything that I have. And then you get to the end of the story that Jesus says. And he says, basically, how foolish you are because your life could be called upon tonight or you could get run over at 4.30 in the morning going fishing. And your life changes. Just like your life could be called upon you and it all can be changed and snuffed out just like that. And then what do you really have? What Jesus is saying is, he says he spent all his time gathering more and more and more, but he missed the whole point. And ultimately what he's saying, what is really going to be your legacy? So you got the foolish farmer. And fast forward to this story in Luke 21. Jesus is down at the temple. Let me give you a context. I'll finish this up. What's very interesting about the placement of this particular story is that Jesus, on, this is probably happens on a Tuesday, the widow story. Jesus is already ridden in on the donkey. It's Palm Sunday. Some people have already hailed him as the Messiah, waved in the palm branches. Monday, Jesus goes to the temple, and what's he do? Cleans house. Turns over the money changers. Makes a bunch of people really uncomfortable. Hence the reason why we got to get Pilate up here. He washes hands. But Tuesday, Jesus goes back to the temple. I, I love the opening line there where it says, and Jesus raised his head up. Man, that's a little detail, isn't it? Just a simple idea. Maybe the reason why Jesus had to lift his head up to see her is because he felt the weight of the world on his shoulders already. Hmm. He was looking down. Then he looked up. Why was he looking down? Hmm. Sees this woman walk in. It's not just anyone, but she's a, a widow. I, I found this picture, this uh, woman this week. Uh, it was a younger version of the, can you show that first picture? No, not, not Mother Teresa. That's not it. That's not it. I had that. But this picture, yeah. I never had thought of the widow. I always thought of the widow being a really older lady, but then I love this rendering. It's a younger woman. She comes with two little copper coins. It was the least of all the offerings. Matter of fact, um, uh, the title of my sermon is uh, 50 cents doesn't sound like much. That's the title of my sermon tonight. And the reason why I named that is because what she dropped in the offering plate was probably the equivalent of about 50 cents. So here she comes in with her 50 cents. And this is what 50 cents would have sounded like. By the way, there were um, 12 different receptacles all in the temple and it was in the court of the women, court of Josephus. And so the people would come in and they would drop their offerings and the different offering and they were shaped, they were made out of brass and they shaped like trumpets. 
And they would walk in and they would bring their offerings in. And so this is what 50 cents sounds like. That's it. Can you go back to that picture real quick? Do you see all the Pharisees? And do you see them all having their big, their bags there rolling in? So the, I mean, the other people who come willing, so they come in and guess what they're bringing in? Do you hear the difference? You hear the difference? 50 cents doesn't sound like much. But the others bring their abundance. Drop it in the offering plate. It wasn't just an offering plate. It was a big brass trumpet-shaped thing. Everybody could hear the clang of all that money going into the offering plate. Drew a lot of tension. Hmm. But nobody noticed her except Jesus. Hmm. And what's really interesting is I think that maybe part of the twist of that story is is that in Luke, there, he spends a lot of time talking about the importance of widows. There's a lot of talk in Luke about taking care of the widows. Maybe the reason why he draws attention to the whole thing about the widows there is because he felt like maybe the, the Pharisees and the people who were ultimately they were taken advantage of the widows with the way that they used the money. Hence the reason why Jesus already cleaned house on Monday. But he's drawing attention to this woman on Tuesday. So maybe it was an exploit. He sees how the widows continue to be exploited by the wealthy. And so what's very powerful is that maybe the whole point of the story is that she just kind of gives from her heart. She gives because she just loves God. She gives everything that she has to live on according to Jesus. They're giving out of their abundance. She's given out of poverty. Maybe the point is that they have been living an abundant life, but they don't have anything. They have been living this abundant living, but they don't have a clue about abundant life. Maybe that's the point. And the woman understands everything about abundant life. Hmm. I think one of the greatest things about this story as I wrap this up is we're still talking about her. 2,000 years later. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Poor widow. She just dropped two little pieces of copper in there. 50 cents. Doesn't sound like much. But here we are. We're still talking about her. Maybe that's her legacy. What's your legacy? What's your legacy? What's her legacy? What's our church's legacy? Three things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Mr. Wesley called that holiness. That's the whole reason why gain all you can, save all you can, give away all you can. That's all about holiness, taking care of other people. And the third one, I think, comes from my friend Don Piper. You ready? Our legacy has a lot to do with helping other people get from here to there. 
you know, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? I, I, I really hoping and praying that maybe my legacy, your legacy, our legacy, lives into those three things. I may never, my, grand, my great-grandchildren may never know who I am. May never know who, may know who this woman is on the front row here, Mrs. Hendry. May not even know who we are. But I do know that love is important because we pour in love and love will leave a legacy.